0: This morning, we're going to be looking at that question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And that's coming from our gospel lesson this morning, which can be found in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 25 through 37. Again, that's Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 37 this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear it and be changed by it. And Lord, we pray that indeed that would happen this morning, that you would open our eyes that we would see your truth more clearly that you want to clog our ears that we might hear your voice speaking plainly to us and lord that you would give us lives that are ready to go and live out that truth to the honor and glory of your name so father today as we explore that question who is our neighbor and as lord we seek to love our neighbor as you have loved us lord help us we pray Allow your Holy Spirit to change minds, hearts, and attitudes where those things need to take place. But Lord, Lord, do a work within us today that we might be changed and go live for you in the days to come. And so now, Lord, I ask humbly that you would speak through me this morning or I ask that you'd speak in spite of me, but I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we people would be changed because of it. In Christ's name, to his honor and glory, we ask all these things And together, all God's people said, Amen. Well, by the time of our scripture passage today, by the time of Jesus, the Jews and Samaritans have hated one another for thousands of years. I mean, we're not just talking a little bit of an issue, but they have literally hated one another for thousands of years. And it was easy to see why they hated one another. God's people had once been a united people, united in mind, united in purpose, united in faith. Twelve tribes held together by a covenant, a covenant relationship with God, a covenant that they held in common and they cherished. They were Yahweh's people and Yahweh was their God. There was no disputing it. But rule by God eventually became rule by king. Now, for a number of years, even with the king, the people remained united. They remained 12 united tribes under King David and and King Solomon. But then it happened. The year was 931 BCE. King Solomon had died, and when he died, there was a scramble for power, for authority. Who was going to be the king? Who was going to be the ruler? And so people began to clamor. They began to fight. And King Jeroboam stepped up and he led a revolt of the northern tribes. Ten of them split off. They went off and they established a new capital city in Samaria. Two tribes remained in Judah and they clung to the past. They clung to Jerusalem. They believed that there was no capital but that. That God had given that place to His people. It was holy and it was sacred. 210 years later in 721... The Assyrians came and they conquered the ten northern tribes of Israel. Eight of those tribes would be carted off into captivity in a foreign land, in a foreign place where they would become slaves. But two tribes remained. Two tribes were able to stay in that land. The tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, these would become known as the Samaritans. They stayed behind and understandably, the fact that they stayed behind strained relationships between those two tribes that remained behind and the ten that were tar- or the, the eight that were carted off into captivity, because those two tribes that stayed behind, it seemed like things were better for them, that things were good for them. They didn't have to change all that much. Things could continue pretty much as usual. They could live in the houses that they had built. They inhabited the land that the, God, that the Lord their God had given to them. They were able to to enjoy the vineyards that they had planted. Life was good for them. But for those eight other tribes that had been carted off into captivity, things weren't good for them. They were slaves. They were a foreign people in a foreign place and they were treated as foreigners. Now eventually those eight tribes would become set free. They would have the opportunity to go back home. They would have the opportunity to return to the houses that they built, the vineyards that they had planted, the lives that they once enjoyed. But things had changed while they were gone. Ephraim and Manasseh, they had set up a temple on Mount Gerizim. They had their own vision, version of the Pentateuch. And because they hadn't been in a foreign land, they felt like they were special. That they were privileged. That because they didn't adapt foreign principles and ways of living, because they didn't intermarry with others who were outside of their faith, they felt that they were pure. But those eight tribes that returned, they felt like they were special. They had endured hardship, they had endured captivity, but they had remained faithful to God. And the fact that they're now back home in the land that God had given them, that, that should tell everyone just how special they are, how privileged they are. And so, as God's people tried to get along with one another again, those relationships were strained. There was anger and animosity. Each group felt special. Each group felt deserving. Each group had their reasons to feel that way. But now, now because there was that divide, there was political rivalry. There was the jockeying for power. There was hostility between the groups towards one another. There was systemic oppression. Those that used to call one another brother and sister now exploited one another. There was bigotry. There was ignorance. By the time that Jesus meets this expert in the law, by the time He meets this person who asks this question, Jews and Samaritans have hated one another. They've despised one another. Their relationships have been strained for thousands of years. And this helps to explain a lot of what we read in Scripture. Why this Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at the well would be shocked that he, he, a respected teacher, would speak to her. In fact, she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And in many respects, it also helps to explain why when Jesus started to go towards a Samaritan town and was rejected, James and John asked him if they wanted him to... If, if he wanted them to call down fire from heaven on those who had rejected him. For these reasons and a few others, this parable that Jesus tells this morning, this parable of the good Samaritan, is significant. Because in this parable, Jesus turns the table. What he has to say defies expectations. It takes what everyone knows at a political level, at a religious level, and even at a personal level, And it stands all that on its head. I mean, in this parable, you have two religious professionals, two people who, for all intents and purposes, when you hear about them, you would think that they're upright, that they're honorable, that they're people of justice and mercy, people who are going to be gracious. And that's indeed what Jesus' audience thinks. That's what they hear when they hear that one is a priest and the other is a Levite. These are two men who are God-fearing men. Surely they wouldn't neglect one of their own. They're respectable. They wouldn't turn their back on one of their own who's beaten and alongside the road on the verge of death. According to Jesus, this priest walks by on the other side as does the Levite. neither, Neither stopping to help this man. Neither willing to engage with this man. That statement alone would have raised an eyebrow. It would have yielded many questions. But more than interest was piqued, more than an eyebrow was raised when Jesus goes on to tell them about this third person. This third person who walks and they see this individual in need. Because this third person isn't a religious professional. This third person isn't a priest or a Levite. No, they're a good-for-nothing Samaritan. Someone who's supposedly cold. Someone who's uncaring. Someone who only looks out for other Samaritans. Surely this person wouldn't be moved to help. But Jesus shocks his hearers. Because he says the Samaritan was the only one to help. In fact, he not only didn't cross over to the other side of the road, he got his hands dirty. He put this individual who was hurt on the back of his own animal. He goes, and he makes sure this man gets care. And he gets this man care at his own expense. Two denarii, and if there's more, I'll make up for it. Samaritans are supposed to be cold and callous. They're supposed to be uncaring. They're only supposed to care for other Samaritans. How how could this good-for-nothing Samaritan do this? This left people scratching their heads. Let's be honest, it's not just those who were there on that day as Jesus told that story who were scratching their heads. It's us as well. This parable of the Good Samaritan calls so much of life into question. It challenges so many things about how our world operates. Keep in mind what Luke tells us. Luke records that this person came and asked this question, testing Jesus. And the question that he asked is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now again, Luke's clear. The man is asking this question not because he really cares, not because deep in his heart of hearts he wants to know these things. No, he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to trap Him. And in response... Jesus gives the answer. If you want to know what to do to inherit eternal life, I ask you this, what are the two greatest commandments? And the expert in the law is acquainted with the two commandments that Jesus is referring to. One comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and it's to love the Lord your God with every facet and fiber of your being. But he's also aware of the second part that comes in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The scriptural mandate to love one's neighbor. The care for the neighbor. And that's why Jesus at first applauds this, man, this man's answers. You have indeed answered correctly. You know what is right and what is good and what is true. You know what is noble. The thing is, knowing about mercy was a far cry from actually showing mercy. Knowing what is good is not good enough. Having all the right answers, again, it's not enough. No, if you truly want to live, if you truly want to inherit eternal life, it's not just about having all the right answers, it's about living it out. It's about connecting what we know with how we live. Being not only hearers of the Word, as James talks about it, but doers. It's about taking the knowledge that we have about mercy and living it out. You see, it's not just enough to define mercy. It's not enough just to talk about mercy. It's not just enough to point to Jesus and say, look at how merciful he is. No, it's about going and showing mercy to our neighbors. And the implication there is that if we are going to be faithful in our following of Jesus Christ, then we need to be merciful just as God has been merciful to us The implication is that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called. We are called to go and show mercy. To go and do likewise. To, as his followers, engage in that work that Christ has engaged in. But notice, the expert in the law, again, isn't satisfied with the answer. And so he tries tries to trip Jesus up again. He tries to get Jesus to pat him on the back for just how good he is in knowing these things. And so he seeks further clarification. Exactly who is my neighbor? Think about it. In asking that question, the expert of the law is trying to get Jesus to define exactly who his neighbor is. His neighbor should be someone like him who believes like him. It should be one of the other members of the eight tribes. Someone who's loving God and who also would love Him in return. But Jesus, no, He widens it. He challenges that response that the man expects. He takes things a step further. He tells this parable, the parable of the good Samaritan. Parable that reminds us that we're not just to love and to show grace and extend mercy to those who look like us, believe like us. No, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should show God's love and grace, and we should be merciful indiscriminately. Again, in Jesus' day, Jews and Samaritans they didn't get along. They were enemies, they weren't neighbors. You wouldn't find them living next to one another. They wouldn't be lending one another a cup of flour. They hated. They despised one another. This was what everyone expected when Jesus told the story. If anyone was going to cross over to the other side and walk by and be cold and uncaring and calloused, it should be this good-for-nothing Samaritan. No. The Samaritan is the one who cares. Samaritan is the one who turns convention on his head. The Samaritan is, Samaritan is the one who is caring, who is merciful. He's the one who shows, shows love. And to those who would follow him, to you and I, who aspire to be followers of Jesus Christ, that challenge, that challenge comes to us this morning: to go and to show mercy be bearers of God's grace to share God's love be merciful to that person who let's admit it has come over and maybe borrowed a tool or two out of your garage and has never returned it or that person who every time you try and sit down for a quiet evening just to read your book they decide to mow the grass turn on the weed whacker and blare their music as loud as possible to be merciful God's grace and love with that person who's cut you off in traffic when really all you want to do is share a piece of your mind. To be merciful. To be merciful to that person who's mean and malicious, who said things to you and about you. You see, the go and do likewise, that's the tough part, isn't it? The go and do likewise is the tough part because go and do likewise for us means eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's what we want. That Jesus' followers aren't supposed to be curmudgeonly to those who are curmudgeons. We're not called to be rude and arrogant to those who are rude and arrogant. We're not called to mistreat those who mistreat us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we aren't called to be normal. No, we're called to be a strange and peculiar people. We're to be people in whom Christ is seen. We're to be people who are merciful and gracious. We're to be people who bear the love of God in Christ Jesus. And the confounding and often vexing thing about that is that usually means we're called to those who rub us the wrong way. We're called to be Christ-like to those may previously have hurt our feelings. Because those are the people that Christ loves just as He loves us. You see, He sends us out to live differently. He calls us to love differently. He calls us to live and love in ways that are unexpected. They're anything but commonplace. So today, I encourage you and I challenge you To go and to be merciful just as God has been merciful to you. Go and treat someone not as they deserve, but better than they deserve. Because God has done that with us. Scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He invites us into a life that is much, much better than we deserve. So go. Go and live out that good news. Go and be merciful. Go and be gracious just as God has been gracious towards you. Go and live differently so that others in you the hope of glory. Amen and amen.